how did Jesus intend for everybody to be taught everything that he had commanded? From the very beginning, how was it that God intended for his church to be built up? That is, what, what was the method? What was the way that God was going to make worshipers? The way that God was going to, to make disciples? The way that God was going to build up the church to maturity in Jesus Christ? How was that going to happen? Long before everybody had a printed copy of the scriptures, long before small groups and classes, long before catechisms and confessions, long before the, uh, the, the plenty of, of Christian literature and books that we have to read, long before any of those things, there was one fundamental method in the New Testament that Jesus gave to us by which the church was going to be built up gathering together to be instructed in God's word. It's such a simple thing. You know, most of us take it for granted. Uh, we don't think much about it. We don't think of it as something that, that's really uh, something that we, we should even think about. And we're going to gather each, each Sunday. The way, that the, the way that the church has since the, the time of the apostles meeting on the first day of the week, on the day on which Jesus Christ rose from the dead, to be instructed in God's word. We take it for granted. We think that it's something that will always be there. It has been something that's always been a part of the church for the, for, for the last uh, several hundred years since the time of the apostles. And yet we don't really think much about it. We don't think of it as that important. Sometimes we, we treat it very lightly. And, you know, in other ways, we're not always sure what we're supposed to do. We kind of, I kind of get the feeling sometimes that that Christians really kind of think, hey, we can kind of do whatever we want. And of course, there are going to be some common elements. There's going to be singing because, you know, people really like to sing. And then there's going to be some teaching, although, you know, the shorter that is, the better. You know, there's, there's, we think that, hey, if there, if there are parts that we really like that we kind of want to add in, or if there, maybe there are some things that, that are less appealing, we just kind of cut those things out. But, you know, the, the scriptures give instructions about what we're supposed to do when we gather is something that's really, really important. When we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, do you realize that more than a quarter of the book of 1 Corinthians is devoted to what we're supposed to, what we are not to do and what we are to do when we gather together as a church? Chapters 11 through 14, not to mention the fact that chapter 5 talks about church discipline when the church gathers over and over again. This is about, this is about Paul writing to churches about issues that they have when they get together. And so what I hope you'll see today is this is important. What we are doing right now, this is important. This is important for the building up of the church. This is the most fundamental discipline, the most fundamental practice of the Christian church by which the church is going to be built up. And so I hope that by the time we're done today, you will understand the attitudes that we're supposed to bring to it and the activities that we're supposed to engage in. Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. And what I want you to see first is that the gathering should build people up through instruction. The gathering should build people up through instruction. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. I want to read just verse 26 to start with. Just verse 26. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. This is what it says. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, 
a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. You look there at the beginning of verse 26 and verses 1 through 25, and really since the beginning of chapter 11, Paul's been speaking to the church in Corinth about what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to behave in the church of God. When the, when the congregation comes together, what should you do? Or, or rather, he's been talking to them a lot about what they are doing and what they should stop doing. And so he says to him here, now then, what then, brothers, what are you supposed to do? What should we do then? And so Paul says, when you come together. And even think about just that part. It's the, it's the, it's the expectation that we're going to come together. We're going to come together weekly. We're going to come together on a regular basis. You know, the, 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 the basic meaning of the word church in the New Testament is gathering or assembly. Church is more than a gathering or an assembly, but it's not, you can't have church, a church without a gathering or assembly. It's a regular commitment to come together and to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to hear instruction in God's word. That's just fundamental. And so I know that, that all of us deal with, the, deal with the difficulties and the distractions of life. I know that you have stuff on Saturday night. I know you have stuff before church on Sunday, after church on some Sunday, sometimes things going on during church on Sunday. I know that sometimes people get sick and, and sometimes you're, uh, f- uh, people in your family get sick. I know that sometimes you're called away on work. Sometimes of necessity, you can't gather with the church. So I'm not trying to condemn any, anyone. It's just simply to recognize how important this is, that this is not something to just be thrown away lightly. That you should make your best effort to gather with God's people. This is the discipline. We just finished last month, the men's and women's groups, talking about the spiritual disciplines for the Christian life, about those things, those practices that we engage in in order to become like Jesus Christ. The most fundamental practice of Christianity is the gathering of God's people to hear God's word. Think about how much is planted and cultivated. Think of what blooms out of the gathering on the Lord's day, on Sunday. So don't give that up. Don't give that up easily. Consider how important that is to your spiritual health, and not only your health, but to the health, the spiritual health of your family. We hope that parents are training their children at home in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. They're, they're instructing them how to follow Jesus Christ, especially fathers. Especially fathers are taking the responsibility to, to instruct their household, to teach their household, to train their household. And so in no way think that that is, that is something that is sort of optional. That's something that you should be doing in structured and unstructured ways. But the most important thing that you're going to do for your family, spiritually, is to gather them with the church on the Lord's day. That's, that's so important. You're, you're sending a message to your children, and you're training your children. You're teaching your children. You're making sure that your children are hearing God's word. And you know what? The, the, the church is trying to support you in the training of your children. Because when your children are here, they can hear things like, Children, obey your parents, for this is right. If they're not here, they're not going to hear that. We're trying to, we're not trying to take anything away from family. We're trying to support family. And we hope that you, you will make use of that. You'll, you'll make it, make that a point. Well, you look there at the things that Paul says, and I think it's appropriate that he starts with a hymn. 
This could be a psalm. Uh, or we see indications, even in the New Testament, that there were, there were hymns written. There were, there were things that were, were written to be sung or to be chanted by the New Testament church. We even memorized not long ago, uh, Colossians 3, 16 and 17, that we should be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so this is one of the, one of the things that we do. This is the reason why we sing. We sing to praise to God, but we also sing to instruct one another, to admonish and to teach one another. You know, sometimes when people look at verse 26, in some contexts I've heard people uh, say this, that verse 26 is really this verse that supports us kind of coming, coming to and gathering together in a much more unstructured way. That we shouldn't be putting so much preparation and so much structure into our times, into our times together. I see exactly the opposite. It's not that we should come unprepared. It's that everybody is supposed to come prepared. Everybody is supposed to be ready to contribute something to the gathering. Now, we know that when it says each one has a hymn, I don't think that that means that every person is going to have a speaking time on every Lord's day. In just a second, Paul is going to say, hey, let only two or three have an extended prophetic monologue. I mean, that's, that's not going to be everybody. But everybody is everybody's going to engage in singing. Everybody's going to sing. That is the, that, that is such, a, sometimes we, we think about expressiveness in, in, our, in our gatherings. And I want to encourage expressiveness. The most fundamental one, sing. Sing loud. Sing, sing, the, sing so that other people on the other side of the room can hear you and be admonished and taught by you. It's a form of instruction. It's a form of building up the church by something that you are bringing, something that you are prepared to engage in, that you are participating in. We see some other things there. We see a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an inter- interpretation. A lesson is, uh, could also be translated a teaching. And so you're, you're getting ready. This is typically what we, what we find in, in sermons or maybe even in the scripture reading that we have on, the, on Sunday mornings is a, is a brief time of teaching. Uh, or in a longer, uh, longer time during the sermon, but it's a, it's something that is prepared. It's, we're bringing a lesson to the church, a teaching to the church. You also see the other forms of instruction that, that are there. A revelation, a revelation is going to be closely tied to, to prophecy. You see a tongue or an interpretation. And so you have all these forms of, you have all these forms of instruction. You're bringing a teaching. You're bringing a prophetic revelation. You're bringing a, bringing a, a tongue, something, something, a revelation in another language that is being translated so that the whole group can be built up. Everything is happening here for the building up of the entire church. These, these forms of instruction. We can, we can think that as forms of prophecy and, uh, and tongue speaking sort of began to fade away with the death of the apostles. That, hey, well, now we understand why so much of the, our meetings together are devoted to singing and to instruction in God's word. That's why that's emphasized. It's because that's what God has taught us to do. You add in the expectation from 1 Corinthians 11 that we would meet together for the Lord's Supper and you have what we have here every week. Just following the instructions of the Lord. That he's telling us how to build one another up. God knows how to build the church. God knows how to see people grow. 
And there ought to be all kinds of ways in which we, we engage in, in, in informal ways of encouraging one another and building one another up. There are all kinds of ways that we do that in the home. There are all kinds of ways that we do that outside of, outside of the Lord's Day gathering. There are all kinds of ways that we ought to be intentionally engaged in those things. But they, they are blooming out of and they are being cultivated in our gatherings together where we're learning God's word and we're committing ourselves to learning God's word. And so he says there, let all things be done for building up. Bring things that are going to instruct the church so that the whole church can be built up. Well, next we see that the gathering should be peaceful and self-controlled. Peaceful and self-controlled. Look at verses 27 through 32. He says, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, in each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there, if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion but of peace. Look there, verses 27, he talks about if you speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. I think it's a really practical reason why there are limitations like that. If, if I were to preach today in Spanish, I would then need someone to translate. That would make the sermon twice as long. I don't know if you thought about that. I, don't know, I, I mean, I... I think we want to be instructed, and sometimes if we were necessary, we would want to be instructed at length, even if it meant translation. But you only want to, you don't want to have two, maybe three at the most, of people standing up and speaking at any for any extended period of time and having that translated. It's just a matter of time. It's a matter of time, and we'll see that reflected later on. So he says, but then he says, but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Now, I think that this supports uh, what th this verse is, is in every way consistent with, with what we've been teaching about tongues, that tongues were genuine languages uh, learned miraculously. Uh, they, were not, they were not learned in the ordinary way, but they were miraculously given ways of speaking. I think this fits here. I mean, the most natural thing to think is that if you are going to speak in another language, that's as simple as, hey, if I were going to, to speak in a Spanish language church and I need to speak in English, it's as natural. The natural thought, I think, is to think I only need to find someone who knows both English and Spanish and who is confident in interpreting it. There could be other scenarios, but I think those are, are, are kind of fanciful. The most, the most plausible way is just simply, hey, hey, I, I don't feel real comfortable speaking in the language that everybody else understands. So I'm going to get somebody to interpret for me. That's the most plausible thing. You also see there where he's talking there about if you, if, if you cannot interpret, if there's no one to interpret, let them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. I think this is the, the one verse that seems to indicate that tongues might be used in the form of prayer. But at the same time, it hardly fits the, 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 the characterization of what we might call a private prayer language. My understanding of private prayer language is, is that it's often something that is not understood even by the person who is praying. Well, it's hard to speak to yourself in a language that you don't understand. 
I think that the most natural understanding is that the person who is speaking is cognizant and understanding of what they are saying. I think it's in every way uh, expected that, hey, when the apostles on the day of Pentecost were speaking in, in languages that they'd never learned, they were still were not speaking revelation or, or, or teaching or preaching words that they didn't understand what they were saying. They were miraculously learned. Whatever it is, the, the, main, uh, the main point here and the, and the final point as far as the gather church is that if you don't have anything intelligible to say, don't say anything at all. Keep silent. Think about what that means. That, that shows a, a level of self-control by the person who, who has this spiritual gift, who wants to share it with the congregation, but it cannot be shared in a profitable way, in a way that's going to build up the church. And so they, they restrain themselves. He has similar instructions about prophets. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. And so that, that weighing of what is said, again, I think that two or three prophets is, is the idea of we need to limit it. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 had talked about love is not rude. Love shows courtesy. And that even means a, a, an expectation, a, a, a concern for people's time. It's going to be difficult for people to sit with their families and then listen to a dozen people prophesy at length. It's going to be difficult. It's already not going to be a short meeting. You're going to sing. You're going to have three people preach. You're going to pray, and you're going to have the Lord's Supper. It's already not going to be short. Okay, There's already going to be a significant amount of time devoted to it. But, but everybody, everybody can have a chance to speak at some point. But, but let two or three speak. And let the others weigh what is said. I, I think that it's a leap. It's kind of a leap here to think that, hey, everybody's kind of sitting around in a circle critiquing what the, what the prophets are saying. I think in accordance with what we saw in Deuteronomy 13, where, where the people of God had always tested what they heard by, by revelation, by what God had written in the scriptures, the same way that the Bereans in Acts 17 carefully verified what was being said by the apostles. They verified that by the scriptures. We're supposed to be doing that as well. The ultimate authority is the scriptures. And that's the authority for the hearer. And that's the authority for the speaker. And so we each have a stewardship. We each have a responsibility to make sure that what is being said is coming from the scriptures. Well, then he says, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. You can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged and the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. I don't think that that means that if there's one person standing up who is speaking, who is prophesying, that if, the, if another person stands up, they interrupt them or they kind of shut them out. That would, that, would, that would not fit with the whole flow of thought there. The idea is simply that the one who is speaking is mindful of someone else who has a desire to speak. So he's not going to take up all the time. He's not going to, he's going to at some point sit down. He's going to come bring it to a close. He's going to have a conclusion. And then he's going to let, he's going to let the other person speak. And so there's that recognition there that of not, of not taking everything for oneself, not keeping everything to oneself, but giving others a chance to speak. And so there's, there's that right there. And the whole point is that all may learn, all be encouraged. You're going to be show restraint. You're going to show restraint because the spirits of prophets are, are under the control of the prophets themselves. That is, even though this is a spiritual gift, even though this is the spirit 
moving. That doesn't mean that there's a lack of self-control. I mean, think of the audacity that Paul has. He's going to tell people, he's going to tell the church how many people are going to talk. He's going to say, hey, maybe not talk for too long. He's going to say, hey, sometimes you just stay quiet. Where's the freedom of the Spirit? But look at what Paul says. He says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. He doesn't need this. It, this shouldn't become something that is uncontrolled or lacks self-control. Instead, it should be something peaceful. You look at everything that's being said here, we're starting with verse 26, when you have a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, then you have two or three prophets speaking in one meeting. You know, I think one of the implications of this is that, that our gatherings together are going to be speaking and learning heavy. We're going to spend a lot of time on instruction in God's word. And that implies that we need to cultivate the discipline of listening attentively. Now, we understand that, that that's going to vary based on maturity level. A, a, a very seasoned believer, a mature believer, is going to be able to listen to a long sermon with greater profit than maybe somebody who is not trained to listen to God's word for an extended period of time. But it's something that we ought to be training ourselves in. It's something that we ought to be, we ought to be cultivating ourselves or disciplining ourselves for. It's also the goal of having our children in the service with us. That we are, we are working not just to keep them quiet, but training them to listen. Now, we know that, that listening for a two-year-old is going to be different than listening for a ten-year-old. That that's going to vary. And, and we know it's not easy. It's hard. Teaching children to listen, teaching anybody to listen, is pretty hard. It's also one of the most profitable life skills, one of the wisest things that they can learn, both in this life and in the life to come. And so it's hard. It's very hard. And it is worth all of the effort that you put into it. Every week, coming in, trying to teach your, trying to teach your children to be engaged, trying to teach your children to listen, trying to teach them to, 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 try, to, try, to try to be a part, to participate in the service a little bit more every week. I know that's hard. And that is so good. It is worth every amount of effort. It is worth all of the trouble. It might take a little while. It might take a long time but you're going to see fruit from it. And I also think, and I don't think that this is something that, our, uh, that needs to be said to our church, but I think I want to say it as a, just as a matter of reference. Adults should also not act in childish ways when we gather together. You know, adults can also be very poor listeners. Adults can also be very distracting. Adults can also have difficulty sitting still. And lots of times, it's more and more a part of our digital culture that we excuse our, our inability to sit still and pay attention and to listen. But those are all things that, that are, it, it, we think of children when we think of those who, are, who have a hard time listening, those who have a hard time sitting still, those who have a hard time focusing. We recognize that, hey, sometimes it is. But, but we're simply trying to grow up. I just want you to see that as an opportunity to discipline yourself, to learn, to learn to be a good listener. It is something that has been learned. I think that sometimes people think, hey, you're either innately a good listener or innately a bad listener. I've never known that to be a case with anybody. 
Almost everybody who is able to listen and to learn with, with attention and with focus, they learn to do that because they have worked at it and often failed at it, and that's okay. But they have worked at it, okay? So don't, please don't take that as, as in any way, like, a, like a, in any kind of condemning way. It's just a push. It's just a, it's just a push where, hey, don't excuse that. We're just trying to grow up. We all are. And so let's just all grow up together. We're going to be doing a lot of listening together. And so we can do that better as we help one another and even as we bear our own burdens, as we, as we take, take responsibility for ourselves, for listening in the congregation. But there at the end, verse 33, why is there so much order? Why is there so much need for self-control and for, for peace? God himself God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. This is who God is. In God's character himself. Why why should we strive for this peace and this self-control? Because that's who God is. Within the Trinity, the Father has been honoring the Son, and the Son has been honoring the Father from all eternity. The Father sends the Son, and the, the Son rejoices to obey the Father. The Son speaks whatever he hears the Father speaking to him. And the Spirit magnifies the Son. And the Father and the Son send the Spirit. We're we're thinking about all the ways that there is order. There 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 is order even within God himself. They are constantly, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are constantly deferring to one another. Honoring one another. Loving one another. And so our gatherings should reflect that. Creation reflects that. In the beginning, God spoke. And he brought something out of nothing. And he spoke his word. It was by the word, the Son, that all things came into being. And the Spirit was there hovering over the waters of chaos. And there by, the, by God speaking and God breathing, there was order brought out of chaos. There was something out of nothing and order out of chaos. And everything had divisions. That is reflected in, in creation itself. And it's also reflected even in our own salvation. From eternity past, the Father has taken the initiative in choosing a people for himself and in governing all things for their good and for his own glory. And he sent his son to become a human being, to live a perfectly righteous life, to die on the cross in our place and to rise again for our justification. And even now he has ascended to the Father until all things are subject to him. Think about the order of all of redemption And even the Father and the Son have sent the Spirit to apply that redemption to God's people. To cause them to be born again to a living hope. To cause them to see, even as we saw in our scripture reading today, that that those who are spiritually blind would have sight. The Spirit is coming and, and magnifying Jesus Christ and causing people to see Jesus Christ and causing people to recognize the truth. This is the order. This is the, this is the peace. This is the harmony even between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so if we want to be the image of God, if we want to be the city set on a hill, if we want to be the light of the world, then we are going to reflect appropriately the order and the peace that is within God himself. 
he intends for his people to be that way. And so we show in love self-control and self-restraint, and we seek to, to maintain order and peace and harmony in the congregation because that's who God is. We've seen the, the peace that should be there. We also want you to see next that the gathering should reflect proper authority. Proper authority. Look at the end of verse 33 in the next paragraph in the ESV. And read verses 33 through 35. It says, As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. You see there in verse, verse 33, 34, this is the common practice of the churches. Uh, this is also something that, that Paul appealed to in 1 Corinthians 11. The common practices of all the churches uh, that the apostles had started was to have, this, have these proper role relationships between men and women. Well, he says here, he says, the women should keep silent in the churches. That can be a little bit confusing because Paul has spoken about in 1 Corinthians 11 uh, that when a woman uh, prays or prophesies in the congregation that she should do so in a certain way. And in 1 Corinthians 11, the main point is that, that wives and women should, should dress in a way that recognizes God's order, God's creation order, even his distinction between men and women, that they should rec- do that. They should, they should reflect that even in the way that they dress. And so he says here, he says, let them keep silent. I don't think that that is an absolute prohibition on speaking. So I, I don't think that that means that it's, it's not permissible for, for women and wives to speak, say, at our prayer meetings that we have on, once a month. I think it's appropriate for, for women to, to pray during those gatherings. It could be appropriate for a woman to help to lead in the singing or for a woman to share a, 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 a missions report or to give a testimony. It's not an absolute prohibition on speaking. I think it is, however, this, this prohibition, this saying that they should not be speaking in this authoritative way that these two or three prophets are. So there's a reflection there that, hey, that, that we are going to be speaking God's word to all, uh, to one another in a variety of ways. When, when Priscilla and Aquila brought Apollos aside to, Apollos was a preacher in the book of Acts. They took him aside and explained to him more appropriately the gospel. It was appropriate in that informal setting for Priscilla to work alongside Aquila in explaining the matter more precisely. That was appropriate. What Paul is saying is inappropriate according to the law. And I, think it's, I don't think it's any kind of guessing that we have to wonder what part of the law that Paul is talking about. In both 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Timothy 2, Paul refers to the way that God had ordered creation in Genesis 2. God made the man first. God gave the man responsibility to work and keep the garden. He gave the woman to him as a helper and from the very beginning, there was supposed to be this, this authority structure of the man lovingly taking authority over what God had, had given him dominion over and the woman submitting to his authority and aiding him and helping him in his work. Well, that, that is played out in the household, that's played out in the family, and that's also played out in the church. And so the expectation is, is that in the church gathering, 
those who are going to stand up before the church and authoritatively speak and preach God's word are going to be men. Paul says it even more explicitly in 1 Timothy 2. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. And there's simply the expectation that those who are going to be overseers, those who are going to be pastors over the church, are going to be men. Those who are going to stand up before the church and give authoritative teaching for the church are going to be men. Men who who meet certain qualifications, men who have been recognized by the church, they're going to be the ones to, to be speaking in these authoritative ways. That's what Paul is reflecting there. Because Paul says it in a a very, I I think uh, in a a way that that is very, that that makes us uncomfortable, it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. That is, it is shameful for a woman to stand up as as only a man should and instruct the congregation in what the Bible teaches. That's shameful. Now then, throughout the scriptures, in multiple different places, places like Luke 10, where we see Mary uh, at the feet of Jesus learning from him. We see women encouraged to learn here. We see women encouraged to learn in 1 Timothy 2. We see, we see women encouraged to teach other women in places like Titus 2. In every way, women are encouraged to learn. I want you to know that that's a little bit radical even for Paul's time. In Paul's time, women were not seen as capable of learning the way that men were. But here, Paul is teaching that women ought to learn to be followers of Jesus Christ, the same as men should. But even when they are learning, there, there should be a, a the concern for propriety, for showing respect to their husbands, and even for the other men in the church. Not asking inappropriate questions or, or speaking out inappropriately, but if there's something that you'd like to learn, it's appropriate that you would ask your husband at home. Now, what does that say to husbands? You need to learn, don't you? You need to learn in such a way that you are able to instruct your family at home. And, and, and if you're able to instruct your wife, couldn't we also say that men ought to learn in order to be able to instruct their, their children and all of their household? Anyone that, anyone that God would gather into their household, you have a responsibility to be able to explain questions that they have. That's a serious responsibility and one that we ought not take lightly, one that we ought to pursue. We ought to, men, fathers, husbands ought to pursue learning. Try to know things so that you can explain them to your wives and to your children and to other people as you, have, as you find opportunity. Not everybody's going to be a pastor. But every man has to be competent to explain God's word to his own household. And if you're not able to do that, everybody starts from someplace. You just start from where you're at. God, God, right now, you, you should not feel any condemnation for those things that you don't know. But you should feel an, an urgency to go and learn some things, to go and make sure that you are able to competently explain God's word. And so don't leave that out. Well, lastly, we see that everything, the the gathering should be decent and orderly. Look at verses 36 through 40 says, or was it from you that the word of God came or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual or should acknowledge, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. 
If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Well, Paul ends this entire section. He starts, he's, he's bringing everything to a conclusion, and he starts with a warning. Do you think you're the only church around? Do you think that the gospel originated with you, or maybe you're the only church that has heard about the gospel? That, is, that, that has the teaching of God's word? You know, it's always that since sin first entered the world, it has always been the fallen instinct of man to make up one's own rules. To try to decide how, how one wants to do things on their own. Not to submit to what God's word says. And that's what's happening there in Corinth. But Paul says, hey, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet, you think you're spiritual. Many of, many of those in Corinth were those who thought that they were, they were more mature than everybody else. They thought they were really spiritual. They were the ones who, who spoke in tongues or, or had special speaking gifts or could do spectacular things. Well, if anyone thinks that they're really mature, they, they should recognize this. He should acknowledge that these things are the command of the Lord. I tremble to think about how often God's instructions about what we should do when we gather are disregarded. So, so much of what we are tempted to do is to follow our own fancies and our own preferences. To follow our own imaginations and innovations. But in fact... What Paul is saying here about how you're supposed to do it when you come together, that's a command of the Lord, the Lord Jesus. You don't get to disregard that. You don't get to say, hey, I'm not really, I, I think I have a better way. Hey, it's, it's, it's the 21st century. It's 2015. I think we've got a better way to do it than they did back in Paul's day. You don't get to do that. You don't get to say, hey, I think that maybe women should preach. You don't get to say, hey, maybe I'd like to add some other things. You don't get to say, hey, I think I'd like to cut out some of the instruction time. I think I'd like to add in this other extra biblical practice. We are careful to, to, to eliminate and to minimize those things that are not found in God's word because these are the things that we have confidence are going to build God's church. These are the things that we know can build God's church. Other, other ways of thinking about how we ought to build God's church, they are human-derived, human-created, human-imagined things. But we have a word from God this morning. This is the command of the Lord. When you come together, come together in an orderly way. To build one another up through instruction in God's word. Be mindful of one another. Think about one another. Show concern for one another. Those who have other speaking gifts. Those who have other gifts. Those who are listening in every way. Love one another by building one another up. And Paul says there, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. That is all you so-called prophets. You don't want to recognize what the command of the Lord is. You don't get to stand up and speak. You're, you're not allowed. Think about, think about what Paul says. Paul is saying you don't get to exercise your spiritual gift until you recognize what the command of the Lord is. You don't get recognized. If 
you don't recognize this. And so his conclusion is, so my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. He's already talked about why, why prophesy. He's already linked prophecy in with other speaking gifts. The whole idea is that others will be encouraged. Others will be built up. Others will be instructed. And then he says, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Did I say that in our, that in our gatherings that we forbid speaking in tongues? Did I say that last week? Did I? Anybody, any of you remember? I said, I said, we do not allow unintelligible speech. We do not allow unintelligible speech. How great would it be to have brothers that we're connected to all over the world that in some way they might come here and, and they might speak, a, they, they, might, they might, if we find it profitable, we have time. They speak to our, to our congregation and it's translated for the, for the building up of our congregation. Wouldn't it be great to hear about reports about what God was doing in other parts of the world, in other language groups? Wouldn't it be great? I think we'd do that. We have done that. We'd love to do that again. But it's hard to look here and say at the whole, at everything that Paul has said in 1 Corinthians 14, by do not forbid speaking in tongues, he encourages the uncontrolled speaking in unintelligible ways. So just recognize that, that we don't forbid speaking in tongues. We don't forbid speaking in other languages. It simply has to be made useful for the church. It has to be made beneficial for the church. We do not allow unintelligible speaking. And so he finishes, but all things should be done decently and in order. You know what the Corinthians have been doing? They have been disorderly and indecent. They've been coming together for the Lord's Supper and you'd had, you, you've had women acting like men and, and men not taking their, their proper roles in the congregation and they have been dividing at the Lord's Supper and they have been unloving toward one another and they have been, they have been speaking over one another and trying to shush uh, other people up and all speaking at one time, at one time when they were supposed to be speaking one at a time so that everybody might be built up. Everything was supposed to be built up. Everything was supposed to be orderly and decent. And think about how many people think that disorder and undecency is the height of spirituality. Like the more, the more uncontrollable everything gets, that must be the spirit moving. That's not what we see at all. Brothers and sisters, we're encouraged to come together in, with order and decency not because we value order and decency above all else but we want to see people built up I hope, I hope that you don't minimize the gathering of God's people anymore and I hope that you will make it your concern to be prepared to come and contribute to come and sing, to come and listen every week so that God's people can be built up even so that you can instruct your very own homes. That's what we gather for. That's God's original method. We could gather every day if we wanted to in all kinds of informal ways and ought to. We could use all kinds of other means. We could have classes and we could have groups. We can't give this up. And we can't give up doing it the way that the Lord commanded us to do it. 
Because we know with confidence that if we keep, if we keep doing what God commands us to do, if we keep doing the Lord's work and the Lord's way, then the Lord will build his church. And that's what we want to see until the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, please grant that we would take all of your instruction, even the command of the Lord himself, seriously. That we would never neglect the gathering of ourselves together. That we would never give up stirring one another up to love and good deeds. That we would never give up coming together to instruct and to be instructed. That we would even ourselves let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So that we might teach and admonish one another. Even teaching and admonishing our own homes. Even encouraging our 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 spouses, our, our husbands and our, our wives and, and, and encouraging our children, training our children, training other people, even strangers that we invite into our home in every way, having, having and finding opportunities that we can speak your word to other people. Grant that we would be built up today. Grant that we would see with spiritual sight. Grant that we would know what is true. Grant that we would discipline ourselves to hear. That we would be careful how we hear. That we would measure everything by your word. Help us to go out from here and to apply what you have spoken to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.